Hey there, you are watching uh, School Psych Podcast. I am Rachel. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Maryland, and we're really excited tonight um, to have a guest to talk about um, grit, gratitude, and growth mindset, and some things that we can do, um, kind of tier one type interventions um, to reach some kids out there. So, um, but I'm going to pass it over to our substitute co-host here because Anna's out for a little while, um, but Eric. All right. Well, I am a school psychologist working in central Connecticut. And uh, as always, I'm, I'm excited to participate when I can and uh, happy to be here. Um, and I have a vested interest in tier one interventions and hearing uh, and uh, supporting kids through um, uh, growth mindset and grit. So I'm excited to hear our speaker. And um, uh, I'll turn it over to Rebecca, who also has a new job. So it'd be exciting to hear a little of that in her introduction. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Rebecca and I am also a school psychologist in the state of Connecticut, just a couple hours south of Eric. Um, and I do, I have a new job this year, this fall, I've just begun and so I'm very excited to be working in an independent school, pre-K through ninth grade. And it's been just, it's just a wonderful uh, placement. The faculty is so welcoming and warm and the kids of course are amazing. So I'm really excited um, and also very interested in uh, learning a lot about tier one interventions. I'm going to be doing a lot of social emotional learning this year and I can't wait for you to listen to our fabulous guest. But before I introduce her, I would like to remind everyone out there how to participate because we'd love to hear from you, your questions and comments and thoughts. Um, mostly, uh, maybe the easiest way to participate tonight would be if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, on YouTube Live, there is a chat box right next to your screen and you can type away if you're logged in um, your comments there. We'll be looking for comments and questions there. You can also um, post comments on either of the Facebook pages, School Psych, your school psychologist, or the School Psych podcast page. You can post in messages or directly post to the page. Um, you can post right under the um, announcement about our podcast tonight. And last but not least, you can post on Twitter using the hashtag Psyched Podcast, which you should see right under my name. And now I'm very excited to introduce my friend and uh, neighbor. She's not too far from me. Dr. Karen Baruch Feldman is the author of the book titled the Grit Guide for Teens, which came out just this summer in July. She uses cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, to help children and adults with depression, anxiety, stress, ADHD, and weight loss. Karen received her doctorate in clinical child psychology and her certification as a school psychologist from St. John's University. She did a postdoctoral training at Long Island Jewish Medical Center and received training in CBT, both under Dr. Albert Ellis and Dr. Judith Beck. She maintains a private practice in Scarsdale, New York, and works as a school psychologist in the Harrison School District. Karen has trained hundreds of teachers, parents, children, and healthcare professionals, giving workshops and lectures throughout the country, providing in-services, interactive workshops, and now writing her first book titled The Great Guide for Teens. And the highlights are these are the highlights of Dr. Baruch Feldman's professional life. Karen, welcome. Thank you welcome. so much for being here. We're so excited to have you. I just want to tell a quick story about how we met because I think it's really funny. Um, so I am, as everybody knows, a big 
social media fan. I get so much inspiration from people on social media, and I happened to follow Karen on Twitter and discovered that she had done some um, talks and workshops at local libraries that were recorded, and so I had watched them. I was a big fan of those. And one day, I am sitting at a conference um, in Philadelphia, tweeting along, and I see that Karen is tweeting using the same conference hashtag. <laughs> so I knew that she was there at the conference with me. We found each other, and we have been friends ever since. So it was a really funny way and great way to meet. I was like, oh, my gosh, I know you so well, but I'm not <laughs> It was really great, yes. The world is very small. It is. So, Karen, tell us about how maybe we can start with just this topic of grit, which is such a hot topic in education and um, in, in the literature lately. How did you get interested in grit? How would you define it? What does the research tell you that made you so interested in learning more and doing more with this concept? So as you said, I have been to also speaking, I, I'm, I live in Scarsdale and I um, started speaking a lot at the Scarsdale Library. And one of the topics I was really interested in was how people change and what motivates people and how do people really accomplish goals. And I started to sort of talk about it and write about it. And I was really sort of interested in it for me and also for my students and for my patients. And so what I sort of noticed is that the kids and the grown-ups who I consider have who have grit, who have an ability to think about the long term, be able to be persistent, be able to be resilient, they're the ones who actually get the work done. I mean, I'm sure all of us as school psychologists have had that experience where you're sitting with a student and they say you're going to do something, whether it's, you know, not going to talk in class or not going to, you know, have a fight at recess, and it doesn't happen. And so I was really interested in is what helps people to be persistent and a kind of resilience for those goals that are really, really hard. Um, and so I was interested in myself and as a clinician and also as a, in a personal level because for me, and one of the things I do in the book is um, I always have been very gritty academically. So in terms of school, I've always had goals and been able to stay with it. But in terms of wellness and like weight loss, those have been always harder. So what I try to do is like to take everything I know or everything I'm doing academically and start to apply it to my wellness. And that has been a really a source of strength and has really worked for me and in my book and in the way I work with youngsters is I also do that I try to help them go from a strength and learn from their strength to address an area where they want to grow I love that I love that and so you're a, a working school psychologist you're working in the school building is it k through five you're building yes k through five and so um yes what's your role like in the building is it is it more a kind of a traditional role or how, how do you, before you had this idea of, of I want to um, incorporate this, the grit and the resilience into my uh, students' toolboxes, how, what were you doing? <laughs> so I guess like everybody else, probably I have mandated kids that I see and I have initials that I have to get done and FBAs and, and paperwork and parent calls. But what I was also just really interested as a school psychologist is that 
I've always thought like, yes, we often work with certain kids, but isn't it make sense? There's so many kids out there that we really don't get to touch. And so many of our, those kids also need help in growing and, and being the best version of themselves. And so I've been really always interested in trying to reach out to all those kids. Like a lot of times people will be like, do you know this kid? And I'll be like, you know, you can't really say that because then you know, like that's that problem child. But in my case, that's really not the case because like I know like all the kids because they work with me in all different kinds of capacities. So for me, even though it is very often traditional, like what a psych school psychologist does, I felt like one of the things that I was really interested in was expanding that and to bringing what I do to like the whole building. And that if we change as a culture and the whole community changes, then um, hopefully that will have a trickle down effect on the kids who even are the most needy. Definitely. I agree. And then the reason I ask, and maybe it was like, obvious in the question is because I know so I hear from so many school psychologists that say I would love to do something like this but my caseload and the things that I have to do become so seem so overwhelming and I don't have I don't know how to even get started I think Eric you have experience in that area as well with tier one interventions is that right yeah you know sometimes they're for me, at least, you know, sometimes I experience some challenges with, um, you know, there's buy-in that other people have to participate in, um, in terms of um, the the interventions, maybe more directly in classrooms and um, trying to manage sometimes, manage all that, helping teachers with tier one interventions and helping them differentiate. Um, and then, so I suppose, I, you know, we're all looking for um, ways to work smarter, not harder, ways to uh, have some, you know, tips that, uh, um, you know, that might work with some of our kiddos and, and uh, produce some hopefully, uh, you know, lasting results. Right. I mean, I feel like I'm at, I am blessed because I have buy-in from my principal, which I think is always key. You have to have yeah. that from the top. And then I actually had teachers, like I started very small. Last year, I worked with one teacher who was like my neighbor. Like my office is not like in the main office, it's like sort of just in the middle of third grade. So my third grade neighbor um, was also really interested in these ideas of character strengths and not only just working in terms of math, reading, and writing, but also teaching kids how to be kind, how to be resilient, how to be flexible, because those are things that they're seeing more and more. Their students' approach to learning is just as important the teachers are seeing um, as the fact of how they're learning. So I think teachers are noticing that. And I think, again, as, as a school, I think we um, at Harrison, I think we do a great job in general. But I think we've made a lot of inroads in helping kids with their reading and their math and the writing. And I think this new frontier, and I think where I was also even just getting a lot more referrals was in this approach to learning and how we can kind of help kids grow in that area. Very cool. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what the research says on Greta, too? And in, in my own mind, um, you know, grit is kind of like one of the buzzwords that we hear a lot. Um, so I'm wondering if you can talk about what is grit? You know, do we, it sounds like we don't have that kind of construct purity where it's this one thing. It kind of encompasses a whole bunch of different things. And I'm wondering also um, with measuring that and intervening upon that, if that makes it 
difficult? And are we going to start to see like grit rating scales? And I know that's kind of a whole bunch of questions in one, but. Right. So <laughs> my work um, on grit is based on Dr. Angela Duckworth, her research from the University of Pennsylvania. She defines grit and um, is having a long-term goal that um, you are, again, persistent, that you stick with, and that you are able to sort of like bounce back from. Um, sometimes I like that kind of combination of that persistent sort of plus resilience mm -hmm. model of grit. It's a combination of both those things, that stick to itness, that ability to stick with something and not move from one thing to the other, and that ability that when something's challenging, being able to see that as part of the process. For me, honestly, one of the biggest messages I feel that are helpful for kids today, especially with social media, is to share with kids that everything is not unicorns and rainbows, you know, that everything is not just easy. And I think that that is so, so important today. And so I think this this idea that when you hit a challenge, that that doesn't mean we quit. That means we actually grow. That's like a really, really important message. So I really like to use the definition, you know, based on Angela Duckworth. The other part that I'd like to add to that um, with great, and she does too, if you ever hear her speak, is about meaningful. The goal should be meaningful to the person. It has to be something that's important to them. Why would you stick with something if it wasn't important to you? So what I really help kids try to do, and teens and even adults, is to come up with goals that are really important to them and help them to stick with them and be able to persist and even deal with those setbacks and think about them and behave in ways that are gonna support that. So I know you said a lot of different things. I hope I answered some of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the idea. And I don't know if, um, I know that Angela discovered that grit was one uh, character trait that predicted success um, above and beyond IQ and, and other really important variables. So um, it has a strong predictive power. Do you find or did you find that kid that um, that you thought kids in particular were less gritty than you expected when you got started? Or I mean, do kids seem to be um, more afraid? I know that there is a sort of conversation happening that that, 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 that these younger generations seem to have more anxiety um, than maybe we did or our older generations have in the past. What were your findings or thoughts on that? I think that the kids today, I think that there's sometimes this misunderstanding. I think sometimes kids will see, I actually did something really interesting in one of my in one of the classes. I went in and I was helping kids develop kind of grit goals. And some of them actually wanted to get stronger in mathematics. And we started to talk to the class about, you know, who, and like, you know, when, when you were little, you probably could identify those kids who are good at math. Like, right, everyone, I can even just like think about, you know, like Kenny Lebovic, yes, he's the kid, everyone knew it was good at math right? <laughs> right so anyway but these kids knew and what they were what was interesting was when we talked to the kids who were good at math you know or had talent right what was really surprising was that they shared with the other kids that they use strategies that they practice that they do things they don't just sort of wake up and just are good at math and so i think like today again i think that because things are so fast and everything is very short and everything is sort of presented in like this sort of like wrapped in, you know, and beautiful way that we don't always see the mess. And so I think that today in some ways it makes our kids have a harder time dealing with challenging things. 
I think like anxiety, like you mentioned before, I think parents are anxious, kids are anxious. And when you're anxious, it's hard to take risks. I mean, by definition, when you're anxious, you're kind of risk avoidant. Um, and part of this is being able to deal with the mess and to deal with the uncertainty and to deal with the hard because about grit is about de dealing with hard things. And, you know, going back and I, Rachel, I'm sorry, I didn't answer your question really kind of in terms of why it's important. But what Angela found, Dr. Duckworth found was that this quality that we're talking about was really important in, in, in kids success and adult success and that it explains success beyond what talent did. So, um, and I think that that's why I'm really interested um, in teaching this concept because it's something that we can, and I believe as psychologists, we can foster, we can grow in kids. So if, if this, you know, this thing, this, this grit is um, so predictive and so powerful, if we're saying, and I remember um, reading that as well, Rebecca, you mentioned in some, you know, perhaps more powerful than IQ, if that is the case, um, should we be screening kids for this? Should we be, you know, how, how, I mean, how do you, that's, that's important. If it's that important, I feel like we should, what, what should we be doing to find that and foster that? <laughs> right. And some of the things actually, and, and again, is that some of these measurement issues are really tricky. Actually, one of the findings that uh, Dr. Duckworth did in terms of doing this work is that for some of the schools where they have been doing this work, they found that actually after fostering this and like anecdotally and people were noticing that the kids were getting stronger, when the kids actually rated themselves later on the scales, they wrote themselves lower. So everyone is still trying to figure figure out what is the best way to measure this. There's always these issues with self-report or these types of measurement issues. Um, but I do think that, um, that this notion of helping kids grow that and then really for us to think, how are we going to measure that? I think that's kind of where we all are. Um, in my book, I don't, um, I have kids sort of rate themselves and sort of look at themselves um, and then at the end of the book, have them rate themselves. But I also talk to them about this notion that it may be that now that you know so much more about this, you may not rate yourself as high as you did before. Oh, that's helpful. It's really interesting. I also think that as soon as we have kids kind of grade them, whether we assess them or you know, put that in their report card. It's it, it's sort of the opposite of growth mindset. Now we've given you a score, and there you are. That's how much, and it just seems like a counterintuitive um, in that sense. And I I know that there were some articles of, um, and some things that Angela has written herself about um, being very very careful about the assessment piece because there are so many complications to it, and um, and sometimes it might even un undermine um, what you're trying to do. Um, so Karen, tell us about the intervention. So you, ha you ha researched this character trait and you knew how powerful it could be and you wanted to infuse your students with more grit and um, perseverance and resilience and growth mindset. So how did you get started? Right, so I guess I do a few different things in my school, and these are things that I, I would hope other people could do as well. One thing we have in my school is a service club. I don't know if other people do. It's the fifth graders, it's the oldest kids, we have a service club, and so I partner with the fifth graders. And what we do, and actually I've been doing this for a really long time, and then it's so great when you see like the research supports your intervention, the model that you've been doing. So I have the fifth graders actually teach the kindergartners and the fourth grade the skills that 
I'm teaching them. So it's like I teach them and then we together go into fourth grade and kindergarten and teach whatever I taught them earlier. And I find this model where the fifth graders are taking on this leadership role and sharing this information to be the most powerful way for me to get my message across. So in terms of things like, and there's not, I don't only teach about grit, I do teach other character strengths. Like I always feel like everything starts and ends with relationships and about kindness. And that is like at the, like the pillar of everything we start with. So whenever I start with the kids, we always start with kindness. So we teach about kindness and being a bucket filler and then we teach about grit and self-control and flexibility I teach it to the fifth graders they then turn key and teach it to fourth and then we modify and then we do a program in kindergarten so that's a model that I've been using for a while um, and then last year I actually did like a deep dive with one teacher who was my neighbor who really wanted to infuse this into her classroom and she was really eager about it and so what we did is we like met um, like every like maybe every other week to plan what our lesson would be and then I would co-teach with her in the class about one of these kind of concepts and then throughout that month she would then support teaching that through videos and literature and I would also just give her more stuff like I'm like a resource like I just gave her like tons of stuff like you know like this is a book and I tried to make it really really easy for the teacher so that and I also had her try because again time is really hard I said to her let's find a time in your schedule with the kids that you think this is going to fit in because again it's not if you don't plan for it it won't fit in and so like every Friday she would then talk about the things that we were talking about it and so that every month we would go cover one character strength and then I would come back and then at the end of the year what we did was the kids had an opportunity to make videos and they made a whole video montage about what um what they accomplished and then we brought the parents in and the parents got to hear their kids um, teaching and sharing out what they had learned. It was really, really nice. And it was a very nice way to get the teacher, the kids, the parents um, all involved in the work that we were doing. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really exciting. Honestly, um, I love the trickle down idea and getting other kids, uh, fifth graders to teach the younger kids and then um, bring that to even the lower grades, uh, you know, kindergartners. Um, what greater way to uh you know to model for the little kids than with their older peers who they look up to and um certainly would model regardless so uh, having them teach uh you know these qualities are and i really like the uh the technology too i feel like um yeah. videos and things um that's a good way to summarize type of the, and, and just engage kids nowadays <laughs> yeah and again and i said this as i said i am happy to share um you know i don't feel like people should reinvent the wheel if people want videos that support those ideas i'm happy to share those things out the kids definitely do like the videos a lot of times sometimes we'll have kids who may have seen the videos or things like that and we'll be like so let's look at this deeper now that you've seen or if you've seen this video what else can you notice what about this character so there's always ways to kind of go like deeper with the material and then what I often ask the kids because I don't want it just to be about when I'm there or when um, the teachers in front of them but how do you turn how do you bring this out like how like I always say what your mission of this month is to bring this this strength 
you know, out into um, into the world. And before I start on something new, I always review and I say, okay, so how did we do? Like, talk to me, like where, and what does it look like? Sometimes we'll talk about, cause sometimes the kids are like, oh, bucket filling, it's so babyish. I'm like, what does it mean to be like a bucket filler in fifth grade? Or like, what are you gonna do today to be a bucket filler? And what is bucket dip? And why is it hard sometimes not to be a bucket dipper? Like what goes on? So to kind of go a little bit deeper about those things uh, with the kids, I think it's really, really helpful. That's great. It's really cool. I like the video idea too, and it just reminded me. Um, I was at a workshop where for um, they were talking about older kids and this app called Zoom, and they were having kids make these video portfolios that some um, actual uh, actually some college you can apply you can um, add these Zoom videos to your college application to give your, you know, your application or your extracurriculars more oomph. So, um, and your book, I think, for it, The Great Guide for Teens is such a wonderful um, way, I imagine it being very helpful in working with groups, just working with groups on the activities and reading the lessons together. But for older kids, I Combining that with um, the video production might be really fun and also really helpful to them as they're navigating the college process and all of that. Right. One of the things I actually did with the book was that, again, I was trying, one of the things, as I said, like one of the things you know about with teens and even with kids is that you can't bulldoze them. You have to sort of nudge them. And so one of the things that I did was that everything about the book was teen like collaborated so in terms of writing the book i had teen interns um do it with me and then we produced videos so we made a book trailer together with the teens and then what i did was i got gritty teens to share their grit story so if you go on my YouTube channel, you'll see all these teens who have really like very heartwarming stories. And like the goal is, and my hope is, is that by hearing from other teens, that they will be inspired more than hearing from necessarily us about, <laughs> about how to change and that it's possible to change. And that again, it moves away from that notion that everything is just perfect. That with every success story, there are bumps and how they got, how they got around it, what kind of mindset, what kind of behavior they engaged to be able to to do these really neat things that they talk about in the videos I love it so. mm -hmm. I am just asking our audience out there if anybody might want to share um, any grit stories because mm -hmm. um, I I find the concept so inspirational to hear about um, how um, other students, other peers, other people that I know have persevered through difficult things, how they um, are maybe passionate about something and they keep going, um, you know, through all that, the hard stuff, the messy part of practice and um learning and uh, I just it's just a, such an inspirational concept from that framework too that if I can look at examples of people being gritty and I remember actually from my first few um, weeks and months of stalking your videos and stuff Karen <laughs> in one of your talks you were talking about how uh, about mistakes and how you named three things that were a mistake that were like huge successes post-it notes um, yeah. What I want to say, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Is that true? No. Oh. Notes, uh, uh -huh. notes, the microwave oven, and chocolate chip cookies. 
That's so and actually, and uh, actually, my son's friend pointed out um, his baby sister, but that was oh. that part of the video that I generally share with the kids. <laughs> that is a great example. Somebody says, no, it's a mistake and turns into something magnificent. Can you tell the post-it note story for us? I, I don't know if everyone knows that, but I think that's a great story that kids can really relate to. Just the fact is that, like, I think, again, that things are sometimes when we do things, we don't always, I don't actually, I'm as familiar, I'm sure that it's actually a book about all these mistakes, about how each one of those things were created. But I guess the big idea about that is that when we start to do things, sometimes the direction or what happens is that, as I said, there are going to be mistakes along the way. And that is normal. I think, again, we just tend to sort of perceive that things are going to be a straight path. I'll always use myself often, you know, as an example about those things like that are things like even like, you know, people will see me and I will present. And one of my goals, I don't know if people are familiar with the Learning in the Brain Conference. I really wanted to speak at the Learning in the Brain Conference. And mm -hmm. I used to, I really, I, I found out who like the head of the conference was and I would like email him. And since like from like 2013, I would like email him and email him and basically it went into the abyss. And that wasn't working. So um, eventually I did like a poster at the Learning in the Brain and I used a different strategy. And then he saw my poster and then um, actually a friend who was a colleague and I spoke at the Learning Brain put a good word for me and then that happened. So the fact is, is that you see somebody who's speaking at the Learning in the Brain and you just assume like, you know, they just got there. But a lot of times that's not what it looks like. And everything even about writing this book like taught me about great like things even everything the writing process getting endorsements you know all those types of things it really is hard work and the next thing that i'm taking on actually is the marathon which uh rebecca knows and that is also really challenging so i think what i w would like to say to people is that what i did learn is that when you take on hard things you are more willing to take on harder things. And I think that that's really helpful, especially when people are anxious, because I think when people are anxious, they don't want to take on hard things. But by exposing themselves to doing them, it gets not easy, but it gets easier to do those things. So, um, and I think in this world, I think it's really, it is hard. And there are um, things that are going to be hard for, for, for our youngsters. Mm. That's a really good point. You know, you brought up anxiety earlier, um, and, and that's really the, you know, the kids who are anxious, the ones who, I, I think it's really interesting to apply this to, you know, just the typical day-to-day -day as well, you know, the day-to-day -day activities, learning, um, working through difficult problems, math, uh, things that people might be challenged by. But uh, when you mentioned earlier uh, the anxious kids who, are maybe for all uh, appearances are looking resistant or oppositional, um, but maybe deep down inside, it's really anxiety that's going on. And, um, you know, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, where's the, where's the serotonin release, you know, for, for some kids who just get a rush out of working through math or um, art or something that's difficult and they uh, persist and persist. So, and for those kids who just get stuck, and adults, you know, I wonder, wow, it's just a different process, a more difficult process. But um, maybe uh, if you don't mind talking a little about um, cognitive behavioral therapy and your workbook. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Right. So one of the things, I guess, my slants, I guess everybody has a different slant about why they're interested in grit. And, um, you know, and Angela is very, you know, talks a lot about athletes and, you know, superstars mm -hmm. and chess players. I guess I came to this more from my practice is that I would see people or I would ask people as a cognitive behavioral psychologist, I was asking people to do really hard things and mm -hmm. to basically not take short-term gains, but be able to remember the long-term benefit. So yes, if you don't want to go to school and you don't go to school, you feel better in the moment, but then you pay a big price because it makes, as we all know, the problem just get bigger. Or I have a lot of patients who have OCD. In the moment, it feels better to give into a compulsion, but in the long run, it just keeps the cycle going. Or if you have ADHD and you're impulsive and you just give into your impulsivities or your anger problems, in the moment, often those things feel good. So how do we help people to really think about the long term? How do we have them think? And so one of the things that I do in my book, and one of the reasons why we are built this way, is that the long term is abstract. It's like the abyss. We can't can't really put our finger at it. Whereas right now, if I stay home, I can really envision in my head what that's going to look like. Or right now, when I yell at this kid, I get that, you know, maybe that, that good feeling. So what I try to do is help take the long term and make it more concrete and bring it into the present so that we are using our brains in the way that we know sometimes helps our brain process things because we have a bias to what's going to be more concrete and what's more present. So if you have a goal, you can't just like have a goal and not think about it. Every day you need to commit to your goal. Every day you need to see it. You need to have an accountability partner, somebody who's going to remind you and keep you on your toes. You're going to need that support. So again, using research that we have now in science, which is so super cool, and helping in kids with that science and then bringing it in their lives so that they can be take that long term and be that more mindful self that best version of themselves um and that's what as i said i'm sort of interested in um from that cognitive behavioral sort of perspective yeah that makes so, so much sense to me yeah. i like the um goal setting research on keeping that goal in front of you all the time making it uh your passwords on your computers and like little strategies like that are so so helpful and so helpful for kids who you know might understand and buy into intellectually but not even know how to get started with um, keeping the goal in mind or um, you know looking past the, the um, instant gratification of right now it's so as, as you um, you implemented the intervention and you got it to go school-wide and it trickled down and, and what have you noticed or what kind of feedback did you get from parents and teachers and students themselves? So one of the things that I think that's also super neat is that at the beginning of the school year, I don't know if you have an opportunity, I try to go to every class and what I really love is that when I go this year and like believe me, I sometimes do things and they're not that memorable. The kids totally remember when the fifth graders came to their kindergarten class. They can tell me like exactly what happened and what we did and you know about the program and so I know that it's actually affecting them because they can remember and now some of my kindergartners are getting to be some of my older students so they can remember when they were kindergartners and now they're becoming the old students who are the fifth graders and starting to teach the little ones so I definitely see um, the impact in the school 
Um, I see like kids, I had one girl say to me, that one of the girls that I did like a deep dive in that classroom, she's like, you know, I saw you, I was trying to open the door and I couldn't open the door. And I was say, I said to myself, okay, that strategy's not working. I need to be more flexible. I need to think about something different. And I'm going not to just keep moving the handle like this. I'm going to do something different. So if I can be like a stimulus in the building for the kids to start thinking about these things, um, you know, I feel like there's, you know, a lot of, of, of impact. And what we're doing, and what I love is that some now the fourth grade teachers, because I worked a lot with third, they're carrying the work over into fourth grade, and they're using a lot of the terminology. One of the things they did, and I, they didn't even tell me they were doing it, they had um, different character strengths, such as kindness and grit and flexibility on uh, poster boards, and they had the kids come and write and about what they knew about that, and they had a conversation about that. So again, I do feel the best way to get this work done is school-wide. But I do think that the, that is sometimes helpful to start small. Like instead of like being super ambitious and saying, let's just get all the teachers to do this, I think by starting small and for seeing, the teachers seeing other teachers meet with success and either, you know, in scores or in with recess or things like that, that I found to be much more helpful than trying to start large and, um, and, and try to get everyone's buy-in at, at, at the top. So. It's good advice. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit now, um, let's shift the focus maybe to gratitude. So in terms of gratitude, one of the things I talk about in the book um, is, and I think people sometimes are surprised, gratitude, I talk about meditation. Why are these things actually helpful in terms of growing your grit? And so what if you think about it, if you are grateful, you're focusing on what is working, what is positive, what is good in your life. And that kind of mindset is going to help you kind of keep going. If you're, again, thinking about the things aren't working or if you have a fixed mindset that nothing will change, then it's going to be really hard to kind of stick with things when things are difficult. So having gratitude, also meditation, being mindful, having that space so that you can, again, not be so reactive, be more responsive. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of ways of being in the world are going to be ways that are ultimately going to be help people to have goals and stick with goals that are really important. So, um, and I also just think that one of the things that we think, you know, again, it's about, for me, it's about mindset. It's about having behavior like practice and knowing that you're going to have to practice things over and over again. Anders Ericsson, um, who is very well known for this concept of deliberate practice, talks about experts and they engage in this thing called deliberate practice where they hone in on the thing that is a weakness for them. They don't multitask and they just keep focusing on that over and over and they have an imagery of that in their head. And if we look and again nobody likes to focus on their weakness but that's the way sometimes we can get better so i think we have to again as psychologists we're good at this but i think the work is learning how to reframe things instead of thinking of things that we're not good at we're just not good at yet and uh, carol dweck is obviously very famous for this whole growth mindset and the concept of of not there yet. But I love when the kids will come back to me and they'll just say, well, I just, I'm just not there yet. And they'll use my own language. I, I know like some of that stuff that, you know, is, is sticking. So. That's great. I, I'm always uh, drawing pictures for kids on my whiteboard, whether they're groups or um, individual kids. And I always say, I'm 
not my best honest <laughs> self yet. And so it's so cute because I think they really appreciate that I'm being honest about that. And you could tell from my stick figures mostly. But when I do draw something that they like, they say, Mrs. Camisio, you're, you're almost there. You're getting there. You know? You're doing so much better. I love it. So they turn around and encourage me on the things that I'm working on. It's really cute. Yeah, I always tell the teacher, I have one teacher who's a very much of a perfectionist, and she's like, oh my God, I spelled something wrong. I'm like, no, that's awesome. Like, that's great for your kids to see that you, you know, made a mistake. I say fail is just your first attempt in learning. That's what fail means. That's it. We need to model that because I think that still, it's very hard. It's like, you know, sometimes I do workshops and I ask for like volunteers and it's really hard to get somebody to volunteer. And we're grown-ups and we're among colleagues and it shouldn't be so hard, but we're we're nervous about, you know, of us failing. And so you can imagine kids in classrooms, especially if they don't feel like they belong or if they're struggling, it's so hard to take a risk. So I think we have to, again, be active and figure out how do we bring down, bring down those barriers? How do we help kids feel safer um, and feel more comfortable about making mistakes? Because in that mess, in that microwave oven or those post-it notes that's like the that's the beauty those are the things that um are are, are um are going to be really great things mm -hmm. Definitely. i i feel like a lot of this conversation is echoing um uh, a past podcast that we had with dr scott barry kaufman who talked about just um you know sticking with something and really focusing in that growth mindset and how that helped him to achieve beyond what what people what the expectations were for him Sure. And I think also really related to his interest and work in creativity, that um, in order to engage our creativity, we have to accept that um, that idea of, you know, a mistake, what we first perceive as a mistake might be the greatest thing that we can create, or it might be something that we really um, are proud of. And so uh, sometimes just kind of following your mistakes or even um, daydreaming as Scott talks about um, it's, a, it's such a useful way to uh, use your brain to connect different you know ideas and different learning I think that's a good connection Rachel because I, I it resonates with me as well mm -hmm. and I know Karen was recently on uh, uh, Scott Ray Kaufman's uh, psychology podcast as well so we went out there and check that yeah. out <laughs> yes. So, yes, I do. I agree with a lot of the way he, you know, thinks about things. Mm -hmm. And I, as I said, and I think that that's our, I think that especially for this generation, and that's sort of why I'm interested in these ideas of positive education or character strengths. I think that for today's youth, I just actually went into a third grade class and I said to them, I asked them a question. I don't think anyone's ever asked them. Like, I'm like, why are you in school? Like, what is school about? Like, what are you supposed to be getting out of this place? Like, what's the point? And they're like, you know, and they're like, to learn? I'm like, to learn what? Like, they're like, to be good people? Like, it's like, they don't like, you know, but to think about it, like, especially, and I say to them, and it's a possibility, you know, when they get older, there's going to be more technology, there's going to be more robots, they're going to be these things, like, they're going to be able to look up these facts. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to need more and more for today's youth are going to be people who can work in groups, because robots can't do that necessarily. And they're going to need to be more flexible. And they're going to be able to be have to be long term thinkers, and all those types of things. So I think that again, as psychologists, I think it's really important and we can take leadership roles in this in teaching those skills to youngsters. And I do think that schools, 
you know, are getting more interested in doing these things. Um, and I know that the Character Lab, and that's actually where me and uh, Rebecca reunited, um, <laughs> they're very interested in, in actually teaching these things. Yeah. So. I love that. Well, I want to just share one analogy that um, when I'm trying to have kids embrace um, making mistakes and wobble that I give, you know, maybe like fourth and fifth graders, I tell them, I ask them, if I was going to write down directions for you, um, how to ride a bicycle, but you had never seen a bicycle or sat on one, but I wrote down the directions. I even wrote down like the geometry and the physics and they were so precise and I wrote them down and you studied them and you read them and you memorized them. What is the chance that you would get on a bicycle for the first time ever and not wobble or fall? And they all say it's like zero, you know, because they all have that memory, that physical memory of learning how to ride a bicycle. So sometimes it is within the wobble and the fall that the best kinds of learning happens. And as adults, we know that because often the things that we're the most proud of as adults in our own lives are things that were really difficult and that didn't go so smoothly, but we persisted and overcame. So I agree. I think schools are more open to it. And I, I agree that I think us, we as school psychologists should be um, looking towards building these skills in our kiddos. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I always tell Rebecca that she's like the psych podcast, like PR person. Like she, you, anytime we have to put an announcement up because she has a way with words. And so it's like, yeah. Rebecca, draft, draft all we need to post. That's what you just said. I was like, oh. <laughs> right, right. But I do think it's good. I think like sometimes I think these concrete examples of either ourselves or things like that it really drives home the point because again, I think sometimes we, we again, it goes back to that abstract versus the concrete. And the more we can make things concrete, the more kids can hold on to it, the more that they can kind of really um, like make it on a cellular le level that they make those changes. So I think that those examples are, are really real. And I try, again, I try to use myself, um, you know, as an example. I know we were talking a little bit about like growth mindset and um, what I like to do in my groups are, I like to teach kids of, like about growth mindset and part even in my mandated groups. And last year I was teaching them, and I don't know if people are familiar, but Class Dojo has these great um, growth mindset videos that the kids love. And I'm like, they're always like, did a new video come out? I'm like, yes, oh my God, the new video came out. They're like, oh my God, we're gonna tell everybody in group. Like, it's like very exciting. So one of the things I told them was that, um, that um, about Carol Dweck, and every time I introduce something, I tell them like the person's name. I'm like, everybody say Carol Dweck, and they're like, Carol Dweck. And so I taught them about growth mindset. And I told them that, um, that um, about her and that she was a famous psychologist. And then actually I went to Barnard and, um, and there was a convocation at Barnard meeting. There was like the greeting of the new students. And I told them that I said to them, guess who was at the convocation? I also told them what a convocation was because they didn't know that either. So <laughs> I, said, I said, Carol Dweck. And they're like, oh my God, the famous <laughs> Carol Dweck. And I said, you know, I was really scared, but I really wanted to meet her because she's in my book and I'm really inspired by her. And they're like, you met Carol Dweck? And I said, yes, but it was really scary and it was really hard. So I went up to her and even though it was hard, I pushed myself and I did that. And and what I really encouraged them was the first group of this, of this year, I said, 
if even I want you to tell you, even as a grown up, I have to do hard things. And this is a new year and you're going to do hard things. But I really want you to remember me and having how I had to go up and do this thing. And so when you have to face hard things, it's really, it's, it's actually how you get better. And it's, there's nothing to lose. I didn't lose anything. And she was very nice and she was delighted to meet me. But again, using yourself as an example, I think is a really powerful way um, to help kids know that we all struggle with these things. So. Yeah, I think that's great. And they, you know, connect with us then and see that we're real. And yeah, I wonder, um, Karen, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about the format of your book and anything um, you would like to, to say about the, the book itself. Right. So the format, it's a workbook. Um, it's actually the first workbook that was uh, designed, especially for teens. So as I said before, I made it for teens and I did it together. And the way it's sort of laid out is that First, I try to have people figure out an area that they want to grow their grit. So I talk about social, I talk about emotional, I talk about wellness, I talk about academic and extracurricular. So they figure out which of those domains they want to grow. And they have to connect to it. It can't be that their parents want them to grow this area or their teacher. And once they make that connection and they figure out why it's important to them, then I help them and I teach them about mindset strategies, ways to think, using optimism and growth mindset mindset and failing forward and all the things that we talked about. And then, of course, that's not still enough. They have to then engage in goal setting and deliberate practice and self-control and behavioral things that are going to help. And then ultimately, what I want them to do is to get like their grit team and get that support so that they can have all different parts to really grow their goal. So that's my um, hope is the book is that they take something that they want to grow, that they get inspired, that they get that mindset, that behavior in that team, and that they're able to follow it through. So that's the layout of the book. That's great. That's so cool, Karen. I love the book and I just, I love your idea and I definitely look to you as an example of how it can be done because often we get, you know, um, really busy with our, uh, task list and our, you know, must do's. And, um, I know how inspired and happy you are at work. And so for me, it's just more reason to figure these things out. How, how do I get more time, um, at a tier one level? Because it also just that time with kids, um, makes me so happy too. And it just makes me better at what I do. So I, I hope people out there watching, um, are inspired and try to take on uh, some of these ideas in their buildings. And so we are coming up towards the end of our time together tonight. Um, so if anyone out there has any last minute questions, thoughts, connections, um, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And I want to remind everyone too, that this is a special month because we have a three episode month and next week we will be um, having on psyched podcast, a, a very special speech-language pathologist named Hannah Bogan, and she, I think I heard her um, also on another podcast, and she talks about executive functioning and self-regulation. She's developed this really cool curriculum for helping kids uh, grow their EF skills, and she's um, j just so awesome, and um, I'm really excited to have her on. So for anybody out there working with kids on executive functioning skills, uh, join us next Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Karen, we want to thank you so much for being yes. here. 
and sharing all your ideas with us. Um, Thank you. It's my pleasure. And again, please, I always, I really try, I mean, my friends know this, but I really feel like it's important to give out this information. If people have questions, if they want to send me an email, um, I don't know if uh, you have like a little thing where they can, if you, information about my email, but um, it's drkarenfeldman at msn.com. Um, but send me an email. You can also Google me and you'll find my website. But also, if you have interest in doing these programs and you want to bring it to your school, I'm happy to share um, the material. So please, um, I love the work. And I think if you do it, you'll also love it as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Night, night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.